Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 222nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Benny Rezikova. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got director and writer Ani Simon-Kennedy and producer slash DP Kaylin Yatsko of the new film, The Short History of the Long Road. It's a coming-of-age indie uh, that we talk about at kind of at length. It's really interesting. This creative duo has managed to both consistently make independent features but then also develop their professional side hustles pretty consistently as a duo together you know and certainly they'll kind of do things here and there that are separate but it's a really interesting creative collaboration and partnership and we get to watch how it comes into fruition in both commercial and independent ventures and it's really great also, we dig really deep into the casting conversation, which I think is something that's really pertinent to indie filmmakers who are looking to make that first feature and want to get some name talent into their movie. They talk explicitly about how they do some kind of unorthodox thinking relative to like what we typically talk about on the show to book Sabrina Carpenter, who is like a pretty big star to a certain type of person who is not me and Oren because we're old. You I knew who she hey, was, though. Yeah, I listen yeah, to pop know. music all the time. I love Disney stars. Disney yeah, music, yeah. Hollywood records. I, yeah, there the you Descendants. go. I, it was I worked on li- that. Little over my head, but then I was like, oh, yeah, she's like a superstar, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's really fun. I think one of the interesting things in our industry is teams and duos because so many positions have such drastically different requirements. Like, if you look at a writer like how they spend their time and how they're paid for it versus a director versus a DP versus like an extra and a PA and a producer. It's like, you know, producers will work on a project for five years and not get paid on them, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a DP could work on five different projects in one week and get paid for all of them. And so when you are collaborating, when you're a writer, director, producer, and you're collaborating with a DP slash producer, it's interesting to balance who's putting what work in and how the money is getting mm-hmm. divided, honestly. Like I've seen, I don't know about you, but I have so many friends who've started production companies and 
ended up breaking up because one or two members of the production company felt like they were doing all the work, even though they were splitting the money evenly. Right. And it's a weird thing because when you specialize, right, like say cinematography being the easiest one, you know, you specialize in that discipline and the gigs are short term and just very specific. You're shooting things, right? So you know about lighting and electricity and all of that stuff, lenses. Whereas if you're a producer, your skill set is totally different and you're learning about fundraising and paperwork and permits and negotiations. And so just by nature of the way that our industry works, some of those gigs, if you're specialized in a certain type of work, it's just a longer road. And yeah. This is that short history. Oh, yeah. Short history, long road. Good one. Fuck, Good man. One. I nailed it. <laughs> no, no, you, you didn't. You didn't. That was a reference to the name of the movie that we're talking about today, in case you missed it. The short history of the long road. Well, I can't wait to talk more to Ani and Kaylin. But before we do that, Oren, I really have been dying to know what you've been working on lately. Well, I have been in quarantine. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird thing to tell people that you're in quarantine because, I mean, obviously there's that kind of global quarantine where all kind of you know, more or less sheltering at home when we can't. Sure. But then there's like the, uh, like when Andrew Cuomo says, if you come to New York, you have to quarantine for 14 days. And then there's the, hey, you have COVID, you have to quarantine. So there's kind of right. these. And then there's the like, oh, I work from home and I go for a walk every day and I go to the grocery store once a week quarantine. Yeah. Would you consider yourself in quarantine? Like, would you tell people yeah. you're quarantining right now? Yeah, I would say so. And I, I would say the difference between my lifestyle and what Andrew Cuomo was describing is probably pretty simpatico. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, you know, worked out of town. I went on four flights. I stayed at a hotel. I was on a set with almost 20 people on it, though it was a a very big set, like, you know, physically. And we all wore masks and distance as much as possible and whatnot. But still, when I came back home, my... uh, family decided it's best that I kind of stay away from the rest of the family for a week until I get two negative COVID tests. So I already got my first one, first negative. Um, I'm taking my second one tomorrow morning. And then assuming it comes back negative, I'm back. (laughs) I get to re-enter my family. Um, (laughs) You're accepted back into the fold. Yeah, into the the pod. I mean, we have a little pod and it's, I don't know, this is not my unpaid endorsement, but there's this guy, Andy Slavitt, that I follow. I think I've talked about him before. He has this podcast called In the Bubble. And every podcast is just about those answers to questions that we all have that nobody is talking about. The news. Oh, that's great. Like, hey, can I hang out with my friends? You know? (laughs) And if I do want to hang out with my friends, how do I do it safely? Yeah. Like all people are talking about, like, can I go to bars? And it's like, I, you know, just want to know if I can like go to my neighbor's house, you know, like, yeah. I would like to know if I'm in a backyard and mm-hmm. we are all well over six feet away from each other, do we still have to wear a mask? Yeah. I mean, I think if nobody at the event is an especially high risk individual mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or lives with especially high risk individuals, I would say like if I'm over 10 feet away from someone and I'm in the outside, I I would be fine without a mask. And that's kind of like... On set, when we had when you have lunch, you can't wear a mask. So we did distance ourselves. And I saw um, America's Got Talent is shooting now, and they're doing it all outdoors. All the hosts are, you know, like 10 feet away from each other. It's interesting, and it's all a calculated risk any way you look at it. But anyhow, because I've been in quarantine, I feel like I've had a life that's a lot like yours. Wake up at 11 a.m., ask my mom what's for breakfast. (laughs) Pretty good, man. Make some coffee. 
yeah, no, I actually, I think because work is still inconsistent and all we're all talking about the earliest things that I'm talking about are for the fall. I was up for something that was going to shoot in July, but uh, didn't get it. But so everything else is like pretty far off. So I'm really trying to like look at those long-term goals that I've had and just kind of dig in on those. So like it's a lot of noodling on screenplays and like. And noodles. Like you literally yeah, made your noodles. own noodles. Yeah, yeah, we did yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this week, like we kind of have all been in this understanding that things will slowly get better. But this week things quickly got worse. So we don't even know if July is even a shootable month anymore or August yeah. or September. Yeah. Who knows? Well, so one of the things that I've had time to do is I've had this whole pile of things to give notes on. Screenplays friends have sent, sure. short films, even some of our listeners have sent, some of our patrons. And I happen to have watched two features in the last two days that were yeah. rough cuts. Yeah. Um, one was, and I'm assuming he wouldn't care that I'm saying it, but one was Ulrich Bursell's feature, who's sure. the host of Making Movies is Hard alongside Liz Manichel. They've both been on our podcast multiple times. And the other one was your movie, What yeah, Are You Doing New Year's, um, which I watched last night on my yeah. on my 27-inch screen here in my uh, old childhood <laughs> Ooh, bedroom. Ju- just like we always hoped. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. What's so better it's, than watching on my phone? Come on. <laughs> that is better than watching on your phone. Um, the flip side being that I have slowly been sending it out to people. And it's a thing also where it's really tricky because you want it to be far enough along that people aren't confused by what footage you have or what your plan is you know but also you don't want it so far down the road that like a pitch or an idea or a note unravels the sweater you know you, it's really a, a, a specific point and also like you know um fresh eyes are really hard to maintain so like you you there's a lot of strategy involved with who you send cuts to and when and what sort of notes you're looking for and all that stuff but it, it it has been really interesting and you know i watched Ulrich's movie as well and obviously was thinking about our movie all the time and the, all of the notes that we've received and what was helpful and what was less helpful and what was encouraging and what's discouraging and i i thought oh this would be a really perfect thing to talk about on the I'd, show. i'd love to hear since i haven't given you notes on your film yet but i have sure. already given Ulrich notes i'd love to hear what you think is what notes you hate getting like what are discouraging and what are um just well, bad notes yeah that's complicated because you know going back to the idea of like your strategy of like who you send your film to and when and why you know we have a really wonderful vast network of filmmaker friends all of whom have given really thoughtful really generous notes but the tricky part with sending notes to filmmakers is that because they are so generous and because they are so skilled, they immediately dive into the the litany of things that you could improve. Well, right, because in a way you're asking them for criticism and they feel like yeah. they need to give you criticism. <laughs> now, like it, it, it directly, yeah, that's exactly, we're saying, hey, what are the things that need improvement, right? And so they, they jump in and they, they talk about all the ways that they would change things or tweak things or make them better or clarify things or all that stuff, or, which is literally what you're asking, yeah. you know? Or, but I guess the the sensitivity here is a lot of times they'll tell you like, well, if this was my movie, this is how I would do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and the well, fact is it's not their movie, you know? Right, right. And so you, you actually cut to the exact point I was about oh, to make sorry. is that like, 
it is a thing where we have a lot of different friends, some of whom are never going to like our movie or rather would prefer it if it were different than what we are aiming for, which is a really interesting thing to navigate because it's easy to be like, ah, well, I'm going to ignore that note because it's off base or they don't, they don't even like rom-coms in the first place, but that would be irresponsible and, and unwise anyway you know so like really just being thoughtful of like reading the note understanding where they're coming from you know it's a really tricky complicated thing um and so i have been slow on getting notes back to our friend Ulrich because i'm trying to be thoughtful and like understand what things he can tweak and what things he can't and, and what's what's helpful to hear and also you know it reminds you of like it's really valuable to hear what's good about it so that people don't throw the baby out with the bathwater on things. Yeah. I have like a few, well, I have a lot of thoughts on like feature posts and stuff. I, I think a big mistake a lot of people do, especially on indie features is by the time to get, they get to post, they're so tired of the movie mm-hmm. and the process and it's so thankless and it's not fun because you're not on set with everyone that they just kind of like, give up a little bit on the movie, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll just cut out things that aren't working instead of trying to make them work. Um, well, I call that joke fatigue also. Oh yeah. You in know, comedies, like, especially you think like, Oh, okay. I've heard this joke a thousand times and we don't have the benefit of being able to put it up in a, like a small screening room or anything. So you can't hear like what gets a big laugh or what gets a small laugh or and what gets a tiny laugh. And so sometimes you're like, well, this joke isn't funny. It's not working when it would have gotten a medium laugh. Right. You know. Yeah. Or it even makes you like a character more or something. Uh It doesn't even have to be that funny, but it's building character. Right. Right. um, And tone and stuff. Yeah. So I I kind of, my theory just off the cuff here is like, there's kind of three phases of the notes Mm -hmm. kind of post process. And I think it's important to go through all three because a lot of people, like I said, just like give up after the first one. And I did a TV movie. Like you pretty much don't have time to go beyond the first phase on those, but Mm-hmm. that's why they're not good but i think the first phase is you you are you cut it you watch it with the director and the producer and maybe show it to the lead actor or anyone else that you think is like deeply involved in what this movie is supposed to be and as a group you feel it you know and and it's most helpful i think at those stages is literally just to watch the movie with other people and be in the room and see what they feel and don't it doesn't even really matter what they say you just kind of can feel when people are bored or not which is very hard in the time of covid <laughs> And then phase two, I think, is probably the phase you're in where you send it to a few people. And you have to be super careful. Because to me, like, it's not just are you going to give me good notes? It's are you going to give them in a way that is not going to make me feel like total shit? Because I have friends that sure. are amazing, sure, smart filmmakers. Mm-hmm. But I just don't want notes from them because I get offended by everything they say. Yeah. You know? It's it's hard because you've been working your butt off. and But also know that maybe you need to hear them. Yeah, you know, that's, but that's I think the there's really a complicated way part of it. to give a yeah. note. Like my friend Ken Fuhrer, he's so good at notes. And he works as an executive at Disney and he's done a ton of stuff. He, you know, he he just jumps straight to being constructive. Like, hey, this mm-hmm. like is this kind of confused me. Is there a different way you can do this? As opposed to like, this doesn't work or I didn't like this. Or, you know, there's just a way to present it. The worst way is, and many filmmakers do this, and please, if you're listening, don't ever say this, is when people say, oh, why didn't you let me read the script beforehand? I would have told you this didn't work. Like Brutal. Brutal. Yeah. Right. Even though that's oftentimes true. 
Yeah, but you know? but it's like so presumptuous that they're just, like so much unhelpful. smarter than you, you know. Yeah. And it's like yeah, not yeah, their movie, sure. so fuck yeah. them. But then, so then the the last phase, which I'm curious if you'll do, is like kind of more the test screening phase where you are really now you know what is working about your movie, who likes it, and who doesn't, and you are asking people specific questions like not so much like who's your favorite character but like what movies do you think this is like does this remind you mm-hmm. of you know and like mm-hmm. almost like half uh edit half marketing you know right like right. let's figure out did, where this movie is going we did send out a questionnaire and we sent it to non-filmmakers as well and it's interesting all of the non-filmmakers their notes were much more effusive and fun and like we kind of made a point of like sending it to some people that like we didn't know as well, you know, or like that only one of the producers knew and like their spouse was looped in and all of that stuff. And so I think that actually made it helpful. It's much more helpful, actually, because then you have something to balance it against. You know, it's like, yes, the conflict could be sharper here or like you could pace things up or things like that. But like also it reminds you of what's working character wise you know which i think sometimes you know the tone and the energy and the vibe of the film especially with ours you know it's kind of like a fun holiday romantic ensemble comedy and so you you can sharpen a narrative to a super fine point and i'm not saying that one shouldn't but also the part of the point of the movie is the tone and a feeling and, and a comfort, you know what I mean? Like the movie is like a funny blanket. And so, you know, so I think we've really started to like hone it down into something that moves almost maybe too quickly. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And I, I do think when you get notes that are especially hurtful, it's oftentimes when they're, <laughs> they're true, you know, and you don't mm-hmm. want to admit sure. it and it sucks. And when sure. you get a note, you're like, that's just a dumb note. That's yeah. fine. It's probably not a great note. Um, right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if I was, if it was my feature, I would send it to probably like two or three people that are like me that give notes that are like, I think you could use some ambient sound in this scene, you know, to make it feel like lighter, more awkward. And I would send it some that are like my mom, which would just be like, that oh, was cute. Yeah. yeah. We, we talked a little bit about um, this off mic and you made the point of how you like to give notes by hopping on the phone with people and asking questions. I like that very much because... I think asking a question that maybe gets at the heart of like something that's working or not working, but you can ask clarifying questions and figure out if that's what they were aiming for, or just dive a little deeper on the thinking behind the way the movie is. Because like, if they do have coverage and they didn't want to use it, knowing why informs your actual recommendation, you know? Yeah. Or like a lot of times my note will be like, do you have a close up of this character? Yeah, and most of the time it's like, no, we wish. <laughs> right. But because, yeah. and part of it is like, because I write notes, like as I'm watching the movie, I'll write the time and the note. And I'm trying to do it pretty quick so I can pay attention to the music, to the movie. So sometimes my note will be something like along the lines of like, I don't get why we need the scene. Which if mm-hmm. you are the filmmaker, it's like kind of an offensive note, I think. But if we are on the phone and I'm like, hey, this scene, like, and what, like, what was the, thinking behind it like why sure, why do you yeah. think it moves the story forward you know th- a lot of times i'll be like well we needed a scene to kind of break up this scene because we cut this you know then i won't give that note i just i feel like for my notes to be helpful a they have to be honest and b mm-hmm. they have to be 
like flow with the direction that the filmmaker is going as opposed to yeah. against it. Um, and so those, yeah. those two things, it's easier to do that on the phone. Whereas like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, I, I don't like this movie anyway. So I'll just say it's great and stop. Or I'll just, sure. or they'll say like the cinematography is incredible when right. you're like, okay, right. that means you thought the movie was boring. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you did it. You made a movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is impressive oh on its own. It is. It is. And that is a compliment, but like, you know, if yeah. that's all you've got to say, think of something else. Um, <laughs> we're in that point now where I, I'm like, it's pretty fine, but we have, we're like ready to move into like the sound and color stages. And I can't wait because like the movie just kind of those rough edges get sanded off, you know, like things that kind of bump or maybe are a little hard to see or unclear or, you know, like you can focus people up a little bit more, all of that work of just kind of polishing it. It's been a long time since I've anticipated that this much, basically. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. That's why I love temping that stuff in as much as I possibly can. Sure, 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 sure. Everyone but yeah, but it's process. also, it's their own process and it's like, I think it, in a shorter form circumstance, I insist that that stuff gets tempted in more. And like, there's still plenty, like the music and the sound effects and stuff, a lot of that stuff is in there. And like our sound designer will just kind of add a fuller bed to it, you know, but like color in particular, it's just such a beast, you know, that, you know, there's a lot on most things unless it's, but the one, one size fits all lot doesn't really, make sense for this movie and you know our editor isn't a colorist so at a certain point it's just like you know yeah yeah to me i do i guess and obviously it's way easier on a 30 second commercial than a one and a half hour movie but i will just like do lumetri and premiere just curves or something mm-hmm. just just to e- give it a little something not yeah. it's less about pop and more about evenness you know like if one scene is blooming and super bright and the next scene is kind of dark and in their two shot and they're in the same scene, I'll just like try to balance them because I just don't want the notes I get back to be about that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Or even worse, I think oftentimes people will not have the vocabulary to even zero in on why something bumps for them. Yeah, like this scene and, doesn't. And it's just, I don't like the scene. It's like, yeah, it's like, a, like a, you know. It's not as funny as it could be, and it's because oh, you know, the sound, the mix is down, and yeah, like because the punchline is the like set up a little bit, yeah, ten decibels yeah. lower, yeah, and but there's only so much that you can do remotely over Zoom, yeah. Before you're just like, you know, you guys have done all yeah. the editing remote. You've never been in the same 100%, room, a hundred percent remote screen yeah. sharing and stuff, or screen sharing, yeah, which has been really. I I think most of it's been really great. I think it's pretty rare. Chrissy's been talking to the composer and has a program that I will look up the name of, but basically it's designed specifically for music. And so it's like your headphones are plugged into his synthesizer. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Like latency is not an issue. Sound quality is really great. And it's designed explicitly for that. It's cool. Awesome. With that, we should probably uh, remind people real quick that we have a Patreon. If you want to check it out, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. If these tidbits about how to get and receive notes have blown your mind and you feel like you want to give someone a few dollars for that then you can go to patreon.com slash just shoot a pod and uh yeah give us a dollar a month two dollars whatever if you give us ten dollars even for one month we'll send you a just shoot it hat 
which will protect your eyes from the sun, endorsed by four out of ten optometrists. So, yeah. Thanks so much, everyone. Let's hop into our conversation about the short history of the long road. Available now on VOD. Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check him out. Let us know how it goes. Congrats on your film, The Short History of the Long Road. Kaylin, you shot it and Ani, you directed it. Did you write it yeah. also? Mm-hmm. And then we both produced it. And you guys are longtime collaborators. You said that Kaylin's shot everything of yours for 10 years? Eight. Ever since we, oh, only we met years. in film school. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh. Just wait till we get to the 10-year anniversary. You better have something good planned. What film school, out of curiosity? We were in a Prague film school in the Czech Republic. We Oh, did, whoa! Yeah, it oh, was wow. a one-year film program that we both sometimes wonder how we ended up there, but we are so glad we did. That's, where That's we so funny. I actually went to Prague last year, and I said to my wife, I was like, oh, this is the exact sort of city you want to sp- spend a year abroad in. It is like designed yeah. for college students in an insane way yeah and aren't like half the best dps in the world are like from there right or like eastern europe that whole yeah block. there is a long tradition all of our cinematography teachers were just these old school like old czech dps who were just they were they were great i love them yeah. i have to drink <laughs> pilsner or kel just because i thought it would make me a better visualist <laughs> Yeah, it does. Good pull, Oren. Good pull. Well, awesome. So tell us a little bit more about the movie you're both promoting, and then we'll dive into I'm curious to learn a little bit more about the the DP producer slash director producer relationship is really fascinating. But give us the the lowdown on the short history of the longest road, longest history of the shortest road. Many hats. One of those. Real tongue twister. (laughs) Yeah, the short history of the long road has been a long road because I started writing the script in 2015 when we were on the tail end of our festival circuit for our first feature, Days of Grey, which was very unique, and we can kind of get into that. The film had a live score that was performed by the seven-piece orchestral Icelandic band, so we were sort of on the road touring. That's incredible. It's a silent film, but I saw in the trailer there's sound design. Yeah, it's a post-apocalyptic coming-of-age movie that takes place in a future where language doesn't exist anymore. And so there's no dialogue. So it's not technically a silent movie. It's a Mm dialogue-free movie. It's like a quiet place before a quiet place. Yeah, Yeah, it's like the quietest place. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm very curious, not to go too far off on a tangent, but about the logistics and economics of traveling with a band with an indie film, right? Like an indie film is already, it's a costly thing to endeavor to to do, right? And oftentimes you don't make your money back, but then also mounting a effectively a tour on top of that. How did that shake out? How did that work? It shook out in not playing in America ever <laughs> because <laughs> European film festivals have budgets through government subsidies ah. and are able to kind of co- cover those costs and we were invited to play at south by southwest but it involved flying housing and getting visas for seven icelandic people and there was no way we could have economically <laughs> done that what can um, you still get the laurels though no like I, don't they, they, they invite you, you <laughs> it was a pretty what, nobody played there this year and they're <laughs> still putting their that's laurels a different on. Them deal. now so yeah so arts funding uh, is what allowed us to tour in Europe. And we did play in Mexico, too. And where did you shoot it? In Iceland? Yeah. And that was the first feature you guys did together? Yeah, that yeah. was 2012, 2011. And had you been working, collaborating before this on like your shorter form stuff? Yeah, so we met when we were in film school, it was in 2010. And then right after, we really dove into doing a feature very quickly. I feel like ignorance is really bliss sometimes. And we. Yeah, it's kind of the best advice, honestly. Yeah, Yeah, it was like out of film school, like started up a production company in New York. And within a couple months, we were like, we should shoot this feature. Why not? What's holding us back? And it was. We were doing a lot of music videos. Yeah. And so it kind of started as a music video that then snowballed into like an album length music video. And then eventually the band, Hjaltalen, an Icelandic band we met in Prague, was ready to record a new album and basically said, you know, shoot the movie first and then we'll score it. And that wound up being their fourth album. A very unique experience. It must be a Red MX movie, if that's the year you shot it. Is no, it? It, was no. A, it was an Alexa. What, oh. 2010? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we got good call. Yeah, you know they were like, we've got these Alexas just sitting in our storage room. Would you like to use them? But yes, we would. Have that was like when only like studio films like can afford them. Yeah, it was it wild, was strange, because it was this Icelandic production company, Always and Forever Saga Film. We hold you in our hearts. But they were. It was the summer that Darren Aronofsky was shooting Noah in Iceland at the same time, and so all of the equipment in the entire country was just gone, like entirely put to use. And two um, of every animal were missing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. the strangest to kind of like see us. There was one day that we were shooting just a, literally across the street from them. And it was us with our like two vans and 15 crew. And then just their small city that had set up mm-hmm. across the way. We we're like, it's fine. You're one like, day. We'll join you for lunch. Yeah. 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 They Except wouldn't have known. We we're like, can we use your bathrooms? That's really <laughs> all we cared about. Wow. And so, and you crowdfunded that movie, you said? Yes. Yeah, so yes. it was half crowdfunding and a half this Icelandic production company essentially putting up all of their services from the equipment to the editing suite. Are we allowed to ask what the budget was of Days of Grey? Yeah, we were, yeah. it was 100000 Yeah. And mm. so we, we crowdfunded 50000 on Kickstarter. And then fifty thousand was through Saga Film. Gotcha. Awesome. So, so that fifty thousand is like in sweat equity, in kind sort of donations, basically. So not yeah. fifty thousand cash. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It was equipment and vehicles and editing bays, kind of anything that they could lend to us. We yeah. used it. It was great. 
And you produce that too, Kaylin? Yeah. <laughs> like, I tend to produce out of necessity more than anything. But You were I in did, the room yeah. also when there was work to be done, Kaylin? Yes. <laughs> I just happened to find myself there and took some tasks on myself. Yeah. I'm curious because, you know, with director DPs, it's kind of an interesting relationship. The director, a lot of times, will try to work with the same DP every time, but a DP who just naturally does way more jobs than a director per year works with a lot of other directors. Is that with you guys too, or is it different since you're producing also, Kaylin? So in general, Ani and I, anything that we do through our production company, I then produce and shoot. But then I also simultaneously have been you know, taking jobs just as a DP separately because you know, while Ani's writing the next thing or we're prepping something, I can be shooting another project. So it has been kind of like a split personality sometimes where, and on those shoots where I'm just a DP, it's very nice to just take off the producer hat sure. and be like, here's my list of uh, what I need. Thank you. Yeah. It's so interesting to me to hear of a producer DP because so often I feel like as a director, I'm much more aware of what's happening production side, right? And like, my DP will like roll their eyes at whatever number production has given that person about like, you know, how much money they have to spend on gear or whatever. But for the most part, they don't get it in a way that's both liberating artistically and frustrating as a person who is more production minded. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the way that being a producer has influenced your approach as a DP? It's a blessing and a curse to kind of like have the behind the scenes knowledge about the numbers. It's I, mostly a curse. It's, it's mostly, mostly a curse. curse. <laughs> I really, I mean, for short history, when I sort of told our other producers, like once we got to New Mexico and we were in pre-production on the ground, I was like, my producer hat is off. I am now just a DP because at that point I'm, I would just have been kind of arguing with myself about rates and crew and equipment and I, I just knew that it would get to be kind of too much so i i tend to do a lot more of the creative producing leading up to the actual shoot and then on set is where i draw the line just to not have those internal conversations with myself but it is it is helpful to for indie film i feel like everything is a limitation you just are working mm -hmm. within so many so many limitations and knowing all of that it's helpful to not have to add the conversation between myself and producers that's like but why is this like why do we have to battle it out I kind of already know and I just justify it in my own head and figure it out at that point it kind of takes the middleman out of the equation I've heard that Spielberg literally has a hat that says producer and a hat that says director and he literally actually puts oh, wow. them on I need one of those <laughs> yeah and whoever he puts the producer hat on when he's wearing the director hat is like <laughs> Become That's the very good. Yeah, yeah. They get screamed at. One a time, lot. a dog really... was producing a movie for three days. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, I need yeah. to get some of those. I feel like it's very. It it does get a little bit muddled sometimes, but for the most part, I do feel like it has been helpful. Just kind of being able to see stuff start to finish and also be involved earlier. Like Ani and I were talking about shooting short history for three years before we actually shot it. So it was, it wasn't just like a short prep period with a director like you usually would have. Right. It was a long sort of just internalized process that by the time we were on set, it was easy to like, that was the easy part. Yeah, kind of knew amazing. what we both were looking for. Matt and I are often talking about DPs and like we have our tried and true, the ones that we could just text and be like, Hey, what do you think about this? And what do you, and should we get this light? And what about this camera move? And here's a reference. 
And then there's the DPs where we're like, oh, on this job, why don't we work with like this amazing like kids, the fashion DP, like cars DP. And then it's like, am I bugging them? Should I not be texting them? You know, and it's like, I I feel like I personally fall back on like the DPs I know I'd always rather work with, even if somebody has like an incredible reel. I feel like so often the DPs that I'm trying to pitch to like an ad agency or something, their websites always suck. I don't know why that is, but at least I can be like, I know they did this spot, you know, and like hassle them and be like, I can be like, hey, listen, you're going to lose the job, even though I want you, unless you can find a a car night exterior example that you've shot, you know, and like you kind of can't do that with someone that's, you know, you don't have a rapport with basically. Yeah, true. The transparency is really so helpful. Yeah. One last thing that's kind of interesting about the DP director relationship is especially like the with the DP that I've been working with a lot lately. Sometimes I'm like, well, you're doing these 10 jobs and getting paid on 10 different jobs and I'm writing or editing or working on all this other stuff and not making any money. But I see, Ani, that you do commercial stuff too on the side. How do you kind of make a living while you're mounting these big productions at the same time? commercials like basically we and that's where it's great having our shingle because basically we are working together all the time on everything and so if there's like a slower day we can be working on feature stuff but then we're ready to sort of you know dive right in if a client comes through or an agency and it sort of feeds itself because we're always juggling like a bunch of different projects at once where we'll have projects in different stages of development it ends up being enough to float us like we don't have any of any overhead of a typical production company like you know we don't have staff we don't have offices you know to rent out and so everything just flows to us and since we're wearing these multiple hats, all those sort of lined items in the budget are there for multiple roles, but they just go to two people. And so right. and you're also getting the work. Clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm we kind of run it like a restaurant, like I'm the front of the house, Kayla's the back of the house. That's not really the case. Any, I feel like that was sort of like our spiel. And now and actually I I'm like, prefer that to so be true. the case. It's a good I spiel. I make Ani do all the client calls. I'm like, you do that. I'll be I'll be back here with the spreadsheets. And now I feel like we've kind of shifted more recently where it's we've been working with several different producers. And so we'll still get the job, but then they've been sort of handling specific projects just because they've gotten so much bigger. Almost like you're a team that they're bringing on. Yeah. And and that sort of helps, too, in this sort of pitching, just because we we can kind of based on the client, either be like a one stop shop that's like soup to nuts or we can mm-hmm. be just a director for hire and then I hire Kaylin as the DP or we can do sort of like any variation of that so it's it's a nice way to sort of be available for a lot of different types of jobs it's always interesting when you have like a small production company with two people but then each person has like their own website also and mm-hmm. keeping track of who is who but I mean I think we all we've all we're all in that same situation. It's just always interesting <laughs> to see. Yeah, especially I think as you level up, right? Like as client demands and client services become more of the work, I think it's interesting to kind of, you you sort of have to decide like, oh, do I want to become like a big 
you know, production company and have overhead and like have mouths to feed? Or is it that I want to just kind of stay in this certain thing? And does that limit the size of the job that you can take on? And it gets all complicated, but it sounds like you guys have kind of struck a perfect balance of being able to outsource what you need and, and, uh, keep the smaller jobs. You can have the whole pizza. Yeah. And it's nice nowadays with like we work and stuff like that. It's nice that you can have an office for a week, you know? Right. Also, it's just been interesting too in the eight years that we've been doing this, like no two years or even two jobs have been the same. Like we started out doing so many music videos and we pretty much don't do that anymore. And we were doing that's because you want money. That's because you want money. That's correct. True. But also even like, it's like we didn't kind of like stay in that lane even for like a lot of the branded stuff we were doing was a lot of like editorial stuff for Conde Nast or the New Yorker or, you know, different publications. And then it was sort of like, right as we were kind of like in that web series, like doc series, you know, and we were like, Oh, this is what we do now. Then like we shifted to like broadcast commercials. So we've just been kind of like riding the waves and with the goal of sort of like making a feature every couple of years. Tell us how, Look, I think we all can relate to that feeling of like, oh, I've got an idea and I'm talking to my core collaborators and, you know, I've been noodling on this script. But there's always that kind of tipping point where all of a sudden the movie becomes real, right? What was that for you? So the problem is that once we start things, we like see them through to the bitter end, literally for better or for worse. And so oftentimes it results in like, we're like, well... It's like we said we were going to make this and, you know, it's year four. And so, like, we still haven't made it. So it's still not done. On the flip side, what's nice is that, like, you know, there's very few things that we end up pitching or that I end up writing that don't end up getting made in some shape or form, which is its own satisfaction. But then sometimes you're also like, these are not commercial movies. And so there there could be an easier way. Like, there's, like, mm-hmm. a breezy rom-com that, like, wouldn't have taken five years but uh yeah this is something that we are coming to terms with in our own lives how did you end up funding this movie short history (laughs) that was that was a long process i mean i feel like the we ani is also a a chronic applier she applies to every grant and uh, application yeah any application (laughs) she's done it um and we did learn from days of gray where with that movie we kind of like created it and just plopped it out into the universe and people were like whoa where did this come from where did you come from we had never done festivals we had never done any of that and we learned on that festival circuit that people kind of once you get to festivals a lot of those people already know the other people there and they have known these movies while they've been being made and so we were like, oh, we should have maybe announced that we were coming rather than just showing sure. up out of nowhere. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So with you're short about history, like in New Mexico specifically. Oh, you're saying with no, no, with, no yeah, no, just like in the industry. I feel like in general, you know, there's so many circles that you just start. If if you're in it, you hear about all the movies being made, and you kind of know where they are in their process. And with Days of Grey, we just <laughs> came out like, of like we field. didn't know anything about sort of you know how film festivals like will track projects for years before they're even made and and we kept seeing on the festival circuit with days of gray like we'd be like oh why is it that this one movie's played like 50 festivals 
mm-hmm. and this movie is played like five and it's like more oftentimes than not the the ones that have you know a jillian laurels also have done a ton of labs and gotten a ton of institutional support and grants and that sort of like indie film world we were not a part of because i before we teamed up together i worked for a production designer on big studio movies and i like was Wes Anderson's assistant for a little bit and it was just sort of like the scale of those movies is like on on such another planet and then Kaylin and I started making like our scrappy music videos and learning that there was sort of like a whole in between of this like indie community mm-hmm. you're maybe just kind of helping me realize this now but like it's hard for people to understand that there are so many little tiers that aren't apparent to one another right so like it's mm-hmm. funny Wes Anderson like when you're younger you think like oh well that's an indie film right even though he's making movies for <laughs> millions of dollars and has you know uh, 15 movie stars in each of them right but he doesn't understand or wouldn't understand metaphorically I guess we'll say like I don't couldn't speak to uh, individual knowing or not but like that's a different world and so that world isn't necessarily aware of a scrappy music video or branded content or Condé Nast you know New Yorker video world there's mm-hmm. there they almost don't even have anything in common in terms of like ecosystem in terms of people who were doing both right totally and and there's that weird kind of middle ground of labs and grants and like your your film independence your sundances your you know a film society world basically that's again its own ecosystem and so knowing who to talk to and you know when applications are due and what they're looking for and which ones you're right for is a a social skill all to itself completely and that was something that we like very much learned like that was our biggest takeaway from days of gray was like find producers who aren't ourselves so what did you do first how you you realized oh shoot there's a whole world we didn't know about what do you do so i wrote the first draft of short history and then we submitted it to the inaugural bentonville film festival sure uh, yeah which was started by gina davis and walmart it's kind of (laughs) fancy actually and it's very, it's, it's it, like, like t- that is truly like the supernova collision of like worlds that have never crossed. <laughs> right. Be- like, because of the America Walmart sponsorship, and, like, yeah. there's like a ton of money in it. Tell, tell us about the perks. So they're five years old now, but this was the first year that they launched and Caitlin grew up in Bentonville, coincidentally. And so oh, we nice. had, yeah. Um, so her family was like this is so exciting like this film festival is coming to town so that's how we first heard about it and bruce dern sponsored a screenwriting competition for the first year and so the short history of the long road was the first and last dernsey award winner (laughs) and that is how it got on the map (laughs) how cool is bruce dern how old is he 130 (laughs) He's just like, hey, I haven't done enough in my life. I'm going to sponsor a competition. Gina, what? For for, uh, a festival that champions women and diversity, (laughs) Bruce Stern was there to hand out uh, the award. And so, so yeah, proud recipient of the only Dernsey Award. But that came with a little bit of grant money. And I feel like a lot of these sort of like prizes and 
festivals and grants and whatever is sort of like once you get one then that helps for the next one so then mm-hmm. um we applied so to so let me ask you, so that was your yeah. that was your first win was that the first place you applied yeah that was like the first draft of the script uh that's the wrong no, was, no, that's, oh sorry that's the wrong say you applied for 10 years yeah, yeah. Unusual. Finally, you get it. <laughs> no, it's That's probably okay. a good script. That's okay. Yeah, it's great. Can you just give us the logline real quick for the movie? The Short History of the Long Road is a road trip coming of age drama about uh, a young woman named Nola who grows up uh, living out of a van raised by her father. And she has always wondered about her mother who left when she was a baby. And so she sets off to find her and tries to see what living off the road is like for the first time cool and so when you wrote it did you have like a certain budget in mind no and we were basically just like hopefully more than days of gray but also you know we could do it for that let's see you know we Mm -hmm. have the confidence of having pulled off a dystopian sci-fi movie felt like okay we can do sort of like a a more traditional like indie drama Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still a road trip movie, right? So it's still like a lot of yeah. locations, a lot of traveling, moving cameras, a lot of cars, exteriors. Right? You know, in the yeah. years in between movies, you also have learned a lot of learned about a lot of creature comforts that you didn't have on that first movie that you're going to want, right? Mm-hmm. So that costs money, and then also like you've learned what's hard, right? Like in the same way yeah. that you don't know what you don't know when you first started. Now you do know. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's a worse place to be. <laughs> You're just looking down the barrel of a lot of yeah. complications from like a simple indie drama. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah. but how many company moves a day? <laughs> That's right. the stuff right. that you don't really think about in the first and, one. Or and car so, rigging, you know, like even yeah. that stuff is yeah. brutal. Yeah. And so why yeah. did you, why did you want that to be your next feature? Wanted the next one to be a talkie. Thought. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was. It, it, we've always loved road trip movies, and so I feel like a lot of these ideas and projects are really just sort of like excuses to have a reason to do things. Like, had never been to Iceland before, and I was like, well, mm-hmm. if we make a movie there, then we'll have to go. So that was part of it. And having the lead be a young woman was something that I sort of grew up wishing I had had more of, and then also fell into this deep and vast subculture of van dwelling and mm-hmm. sort of all of those elements came together. Yeah. You and... were like, I have always wanted to be an Instagram influencer. How can I make a movie that will help me <laughs> with that yeah. hashtag van life? Basically. Yeah. Just want to do yoga on top yeah. of a van. Yeah. That's all we want and get like chips to sponsor us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, let's talk a little bit about cast, right? Because I think maybe Oren, off mic had mentioned how Sabrina Carpenter is in your movie. She's a superstar, right? And, you know, I think a lot of sophomore efforts, you know, I think people come out of that festival experience and they're like, next one's going to have a movie star. Next one's going to have a TV yes. star. Um, and I remember after I made my first movie and we were trying to do press, they're like, yeah, but is there someone in the movie that could go on The Tonight Show? And I'm like, uh, yeah, we could all go on The Tonight Show. They're like, nope. Nobody wants to see any of you. Any yeah, yeah. Of you're like, uh, me, maybe? Yeah, like, you're like, I'm, I'm completely available. Like, we'll get you on I Channel 5 morning news. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Three-minute segment. But so how do you say to a superstar with uh, you know 50 million Twitter followers or Instagram followers, hey, will you come be in my like dark, interesting indie movie? Because uh, I made this post-apocalyptic Icelandic movie that did pretty well. 
you know, that's a tricky pitch, right? Casting for me was the part of this whole process that I felt at the beginning the most like we are going to play by these rules and there's a very clear process and they're sort of like very strict formalities and we knew nothing about this whole world but we were very much just like you know heeding the advice of various producers and then can you give us some examples of what that advice is i mean it was just like you know you write an offer letter and then you literally Mm -hmm. like put a message in a bottle and cast it off (laughs) and like make a wish on a star but only to one person at a time And it was just this sort of like very like laborious process where, you know, and then and obviously simultaneously we'd be going out to investors and financiers and saying, you know, oh, we're out to this person and this person. And it went on like that for two years for all the rules. And it was getting to the point where it was just like, A, this is not getting us anywhere. And B, this feels like such an alien process, because even in the event where someone were to say yes, I don't actually know them. You know, I have no sense Mm -hmm. of who they are. Right. And at that point, you've probably gone down the list a little bit. And you're like, do I even want to offer this? You're like, Megan Fox is cool and all. But But it's like, yeah. um, Yeah. You really know if she can play 16. So many different actors. You're like, they could do it. You're like, yeah. Google them real quick. Yeah. And then simultaneously, we so originally we thought we were going to shoot in Louisiana. And so we also had a local casting director who was also putting, you know, just kind of did like a wide call and was sending audition tapes. And so we were sort of like and and were totally open to discovering somebody really great and new. But it was just these two very intense extremes that felt very disconnected for me, especially for this lead role that's literally in every single scene of the entire movie. So it's, you know, we we knew from the get-go the movie was going to live or die on whoever shoulders it ended up being. And so finally, we... Yeah, I think something people yeah. talk a lot about, and I'm just, as an aside, is that people, you know, when you talk about a good narrative actor, they have to carry a movie. And especially on an, in an indie film, like, people need to be interested in watching them for an hour and a half nonstop, just standing there and also you know we we haven't talked numbers but like i assume that the budget is still pretty small yeah and so sometimes superstars come with a lot of hidden costs you know like depending on if you need a big fancy trailer for them and a place to park that trailer and person people to drive the trailer all of that stuff adds up and all of a sudden even though they're doing it for peanuts compared to what they're used to making you're still set spending thousands of dollars that doesn't ultimately end up on screen. And there's such a, a, a sense of sort of, you know, talking through agents and managers and there's, mm-hmm. there's such a remove that, you know, it just felt so alien from how we're used to working, which is just like being very direct and very transparent and very, you know, just like on, on the ground. And, and eventually we did have someone attached and then, we got the we finally got the financing and then scheduling basically like it didn't work out for scheduling and so we were just like back to we were just sort of starting from scratch and then that's when we were just like you know what like that we're not going to do offer letters anymore like at this point whoever wants this part like needs to fight for it basically mm-hmm. and, Wait, and so hold on i want to pause yeah. you there though so so financing though came together once you had someone attached uh, not exactly so not that's exactly okay I mean, the financing thing, I think that's also a bit of a of a 
fallacy where people are sort of like, you know, there's this catch 22 of like, you need the money for the cast, you need the cast for the money, which we were sort of dancing around too. But ultimately, the financing was less about cast in our situation. It was more about people not wanting to come on board until it was basically until until, the train had left the station. And so that was kind of its own thing. And then the financing wound up being seven financiers, five production companies, five grants, Mm -hmm. two in-kind donations and the tax Mm -hmm. credit. And a partridge Um, and a pear tree. And yeah, yeah, it was like truly the patchwork. Like what our producer, Kishori, when she like teaches like financing, you know, and she does different like film talks, she's basically like this movie is just like the example of like every single possible source of financing. We just like got them all. So that was sort of financing in a nutshell. And then casting, I ended up just going through looking on agencies' rosters and seeing just making huge lists of actors and and our producers would reach out to the agencies and basically say, you know, this is not offer only, but there's also no audition. And so all I was looking for was for people who are interested to read the full script and then meet me for coffee and just talk about it. And just for me to get a sense of like, can I actually work with this person? Are they, you know, what mm-hmm. are they kind of seeing for this character and making it really collaborative and so then we wound up i met 30 girls and who pays for coffee you pay for it (laughs) yeah through (laughs) our commercial yeah it's a write-off it's fine it's a write-off um yeah i'm actually trying to remember how it was it was a mix of sort of like coffees some facetimes Right. Um, the way you can get uh, the coffees paid for is you just alert the paparazzi if it's like a big enough name you know if you're right. with like yeah. Jessica Alba <laughs> at the Starbucks yeah. just can get paid for that just as a heads up so I want to go back to the the list for a second so you're going through yes. CAA you know everybody's list and you're saying these are all the people who could potentially be good and then yeah. you're emailing those that agency and saying hey I want to check avails on these people this movie has a start date no audition, but I do have to have a coffee. Is that literally what you're doing? Right. And yeah. we, this, we have the Bruce Stern Award too, right? Sure. Like there is some yeah. validation of like things that you, yeah, genuinely people, so. other like, people saying this script is good. Yeah. You know, Walmart yeah. loves this script. Bruce Stern. I mean, I mean, I think we were saying we had most of our financing. We really, we had like half, but like we, you we were, were like, we're a we go movie. We're starting. Yeah, yeah. We're starting. Right. It was kind of an ideal situation to just be like, I am available. I just, you know, the requirement is that they have to read the script and then we would meet for coffee and it would and it was pretty clear who was like very excited about the role and the story and was Mm -hmm. very game to like because a lot of it too was like you know are you down to not wear any makeup are you down like this is like going to be you know like like just also being able to be upfront and just directly talk to people and be like, this is what you're signing up for um, without this sort of like intermediary situation. And so, yeah, out of the 30, then narrowed it down to like my top six and then did sort of essentially like a callback. But that was like our first real audition. But it was this, it ended up being more of like a workshop because I had two actor friends who came as readers and then basically each girl Everybody had to do one or two of the same scenes, but then they could pick any scene of the script. 
oh, as like cool. an additional that's audition, nice. which yeah. was great too to like see, you know, what scene they picked, how they interpreted it. Like it was really meant to be very collaborative and also see how we do a lot of improv and, you know, like really kind of seeing who was ready to sort of make the role their own. And you have, I mean, so knowing that you ended up with Sabrina Carpenter, who is, yeah. she's a, a musician and she has a lot of, she's very known in certain circles, right? On the internet. She has videos with hundreds of millions of views. So I'm assuming a lot of the other people are kind of in that same level where they're famous in a different field or they're it was on the way up range. or they're a big TV you know, there was like a mix people. of sort of like people who had like a ton of credits under their belt. I forget the final six. I think there was like two from CAA, one from ETA. Like it was it was kind of a range. But did and anyone say like, no, I'm not coming in to like do all these auditions and do I've already did the phone meeting. I already did the coffee meeting. I already did this. Like there was I can imagine one, some people I will say. I mean, uh, honestly, I think the fact that it was such a huge role, like it's like you're going to entirely carry this movie. And so you have to fight for it. Like, I think there was a sort of sense of like, oh, there's like real interest from a lot of different people. There was one actor who I really liked in the sort of coffee sessions. And then her agent was like, actually, sorry, she's offer only. And it was like, okay, then like, she's not going to get a shot at it. And I always sort of wondered if she ever knew that, like, I do think there's something, you know, agents and managers, like that's how they make their living, but it's also incredibly restrictive a lot of the times and like their clients don't necessarily know what they're holding them back from well so which is a whole other you... kind of worms and so but then yeah. so basically sabrina just nailed it and was just so game and and there isn't a ton of dialogue in the movie and she has such a great transparent quality about her like you can just read emotion so clearly on her face even when she's not saying anything so that was huge and so yeah and so she she got the part, and then that was one of the biggest hurdles. It sounds like at the time you weren't even like necessarily looking for someone with a big social influence, but you ended up with someone no. like that. No, but, but, but it is an interesting kind of fame because I'd never heard of her mm-hmm. prior to all of right. this, and she was in the Disney, they, they rebooted right, she was on Hollywood Records Boy Meets World. Too, right? So she was in Girl Meets World, and then she is the... After she was like a Disney star for six years. After she met the world. And then once she met the world, she then was, you know, like touring internationally and like opening for Ariana Grande and was much more in the in the pop music world. It is a funny thing. Having like, you know, cast a few people in that same sort of archetype. It's a rare thing to find someone who has experience and credits and fame is famous enough to be able to get a, a movie financed or a show financed um, who isn't a Disney kid. It's kind of like <laughs> the only way that you can I mean, it's build a up your camp. chops. You know, like, yeah. It's, yeah. You know, they are battle tested. such a yeah. pro. So now that the movie's coming out, it's re- coming out this week, right? Yeah. Do you think that her having all these followers is going to get them to the drive-in? Time will we tell. We hope so. I mean, we're, we we're doing so. a big, like a, a worldwide digital premiere on Monday night. And so that is like the equivalent of our premiere where there's a screening and then there's a cast Q&A also with, you know, Danny Trejo and with other folks. And so that is like a ticketed event that hopefully, you know, her, her fans around the world will be able to right. join in 
for. Well, the and, trailer, but it's sort of like anybody's guess. The trailer on her Instagram account has 620,000 likes. So, you know? Yeah. They're already so active. I feel like the second... When we started shooting the movie, we started an Instagram for just the movie. And people discovered it and were like responding in a way that is so unnatural for an indie movie that's just like <laughs> we're on day five of the shoot and people are like when can we watch it in theaters your <laughs> movie like, is Ooh. the gateway drug what if yours yeah. is like there's this whole generation of people who learn to love indie movies Honestly, thanks to your movie that. i mean oh, boy, look, titanic was built on the back of teen sure. girls like do not uh underestimate the yeah uh, even with film festivals like we would be in sort of any city in the country and her fans would show up like with their parents and it was just like i'm like sure they've never been to a, a film festival in their lives and it was kind of great awesome. to see them showing up yeah. to that so they're yeah they're where did you guys premiere to a lot we premiered at tribeca oh, uh, right, right. in 2019 19 can we uh rewind just a tiny bit and talk sure. a touch about production actually Sure. Because I think we were joking about car rigs and, and movie stars and honey wagons and all that stuff. Um, but tell us a little bit more about maybe the actual, you know, the how many days trip. did you guys do the road trip of it all? Yeah. Yeah. With, the with, you know, a, a star who does have needs, you know, like what were those, what was it like? Yeah. Like, and any tips you have too, right? Cause I, uh, I have a road trip concept that I pitched to many people and everyone's like, yeah, don't make a road trip movie. No, yeah, it was a lot harder than we thought, but it was so worth it. I mean, it was, we, I will say, you know, to all of our cast credit, they were all so flexible with game. sort of, yeah. yeah, they were just yeah. kind of, you know, as game as we could ask them to be when we were shooting, we, I don't think except for maybe two days we had like a trailer and it was just for all of the cast mostly just to get them out of the new mexico elements otherwise it was like they were fine with kind of holding being whatever the yeah. establishment was next door best to where we available were option i think yeah it was, that, right, it right. Was well you like guys are at the four seasons down. you're like sabrina <laughs> yeah. we got you at the motel six I'm, i think yeah, to me the dream is always that like you know we're gonna map out this movie on a real path and let's just shoot while we're traveling right and then you're I think like, that's well, what we had thought initially, it we did, have a it ton of gear that. in the car. <laughs> Tell us how that plan unraveled and how you fixed it. I think, I mean, the the sort of first shift was moving from it was originally going to shoot in around New Orleans, and we had done a you know a scout, and we were fully ready to shoot there. And then oh. because of the tax credit, um, a lot of people sort of advised us that it wasn't the most stable tax credit because so many productions had just flooded their system so then at that point we just kind of looked at all of the states that had good tax credits and new mexico was so helpful in just talking to their film office like they you could tell that they were like ready and happy for the indie mm -hmm. coming in and like they showed us around and it was great what was the credit and there? so 20 percent. and then yes. there was an additional percentage for um this initiative that like if you move crew up from the role that they have typically done oh, cool. if you bump them up there's an additional percentage on that like so, a local awesome. local new mexico crew yeah, yeah. they're all hopped up them, on like uh, blue meth <laughs> yeah yeah all the breaking bad but it's just like their crew is so amazing there it was like and you know the riggers from breaking bad are amazing gaffers and they were great right. to work with like it's sort of moving people up is a very easy thing when you're moving them mm -hmm. up from a huge production Right, that it, is an interesting uh, you know. incentive. And it's a yeah. cool way to get people, you know, to be department heads for the first time. Yeah. And so they also right. have 
a lot on the line, even though it was like a non-union indie movie. It's like, you know, they, they put so much sort of care and heart into it. So with New Mexico, it was also, there's a variety of scenery within a, a short distance. We based in Albuquerque and it was sort of like there are mountains to the east and desert to the west. There's kind of a variety of locations so we could sort of make it feel like there was more distance traveled than just Mm-hmm. the actual distance that we we physically traveled because we just we didn't ever do a company move until the last day um and that was a pared down crew and then it was just kind of mapping out we did so many location scouts to find all of the different places and i think ani also adjusted the script a little bit based on the locations that we could or couldn't find it mm-hmm. was some rewrites happening to fit what was available and then it was it was like a minimum of two moves two company moves a day which well is done more, and how big is the crew 45 45 locations yeah. oh, no 45 folks way more there. locations because we we shot for 20 days and we had like 70 locations oh my goodness 70 it was a lot locations. Of it was a lot of moving around <laughs> i told ani to write the next one just in one location so one location just, like, really and are you again trying to plan yeah. kind of exteriors or like things around the time of day or like easier to light because when you're I mean, doing we, those many company moves it was a lot tricky. to sort of i will give our first ad Artie carlson a huge shout out because he like the scheduling for this movie was insane um and he the way we broke it down was really first by actor so it was like a week with Stephen Ogg a week with Maggie Sip a week, a week with Danny Trejo and then a week that was with Rusty Schwimmer who was Marcy in the film and Jay Sean who's blue and it was kind of like first cast and then location it was like any other concerns were kind of kind of secondary to those big needs to just shoot out the cast all condensed if if I could choose what time of day we were in a certain place, great, but it wasn't always in the yeah. cards. Um, it was a lot of like day for night interiors, like right. building big sort of blocking out whatever we needed to. But and what about the car stuff? Like a, a lot of times the direction they're driving makes a big difference yeah. unless you have a process trailer and a ton of cops. So we did, we found out a couple weeks before we shot that Sabrina did not have a driver's license, oh, um, man. which made a road trip movie really difficult. And to be fair, the the van is impossible to drive for most people. It's a, you know, a stick shift and it's mm-hmm. a tank and it was just. Yeah. It's not thing. like, oh, well, you know, we'll give you some lessons and then you'll be good to yeah. go. Yeah, you can't. It wasn't yeah. a By the way, fix. It's pretty hard to drive and act at the same time. It yeah. is safely and i think more so we were like oh we can get all this like driving footage where they're not like doing dialogue scenes but you know we can have them drive from location to location and sort of maximize all of the moves that we had for Mm -hmm. sort of filler footage and that went out the window immediately um but we did we had two just two days of process trailer um, in two mm-hmm. different locations, and we just shot out all of the driving sequences we needed on like basically two roads that we knew we could close off. Yeah, um, so and you just changed wardrobe or did whatever you needed to do for that. It was just like a lot of back and forth driving. Yeah, at least you've got a nice big van. I mean, yeah. honestly, like I think the idea of like, oh, well, we'll get the driving footage while we're literally driving. I've done that a couple times. The footage is never that good. And you're yeah. also blowing so much time rigging the car, 
for yes. footage that's not totally. really worth it and then taking it off afterwards mm-hmm. it's like such a bummer yeah. it's like it seems romantic and cool and like organic yeah. and it's yeah. just like a frankly i think a waste of time so like do it yeah. safe be concise that's the way to go yeah yeah definitely and then we did do after i think we were most of the way picture locked we did a pickup two days of pickup um shots where we went back to driving albuquerque mm-hmm. and it was like, yeah ex- any like inserts without your it was actors. like second unit yeah. yeah it was like two days and it was second great unit because we could shoot really group. specifically exactly right. what we needed instead of just sort of like hours and hours of like rolling out the window yeah. well we'll probably need a shot of the gas tank yeah. yeah 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 and we were able to drive further out from where we were able to go on a normal shoot day and take you know the hour to drive somewhere to get certain footage so it was those days were very valuable it's not like that is fun too. that is the dream is yeah. to like shoot your movie cut it and then figure out what b-roll you need and then go shoot it you know yeah, yeah i almost so feel like helpful. that's like yeah it felt like something that is a good template to just like yeah do right off the bat instead of sort of then being like oh we should actually do this pickup it's a great idea unless there's a pandemic yeah 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 get what you can when you're there which is where where i'm living right now oh right matt produced a movie that finished shooting right before covid yeah yeah so we got the lion's share of the movie done so all the b-roll is just like little models he's made in his living room shot on his iphone yeah yeah we 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 have done like a lot of like iphone insert versions like as for temp so we know where it needs to land which is really nice but like it would be so easy to bang out the 10 shots we need in one day real fast but we just yeah. you know maybe mid-july we'll be able to do it i don't know we'll see yeah it's okay. so it's upsetting okay. <laughs> i'm so sorry for you <laughs> um, well we should probably wrap yeah. up soon but can you give us since the movie by the time this episode comes out will already be out possibly at a drive-in near you like why should people go see the movie Go see the movie because if you can't take a road trip, live vicariously through the Ooh, short history of the long road. That's true. Yeah, that's if you've got a little wanderlust. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Well, we're excited. Yeah. If people want to find out more about the movie. All the info is on our website, shorthistorylongroad.com. And then you can find us on Instagram at shorthistorylongroad and on Twitter at roadfilm. Well, awesome. Well, uh, are you two good to hang out and endorse with us real quick? Yeah. Oh, yes. Unpaid endorsements. It's been a pretty stressful time for everyone. Um, And so a tiny little thing that uh, has brought me genuine joy and great relief is the Instagram account Pasta Grannies. Do you know this account? Oh, yes. It's the best. And it's just, it's just very skilled old women making pasta. And it, it, it's quite impressive. I wonder if you two have um, theories on this. It's it's different people every time. So, like, I'm wondering who's taking... Are they just trolling hashtags and, and like, trying to f- just source different pasta grannies? Are they sending photographers out? I'm curious about the behind-the-scenes of pasta grannies, is what I'm saying. I it's feel like the demographic woman. is not present online, typically. <laughs> like, they're not out there. Yeah, Lots yeah, of exactly. doing that. It's naturally. a lot of grandkids. But are they tagging their grandma pasta grannies? <laughs> well, they're all in Italy, right? So yeah. it must be, yeah. it must be someone like in Italy. they're 100 years old. I 
wooden doors. I can't tell sometimes how many people know about these things because I'm just in my quarantine bubble. But I have been a big fan of Shot Deck lately, oh, yeah. um, which is a website that's like an online, From it's Lawrence a library Cher. of searchable film stills. Yeah. Is it, um, is it still in beta? Is it invite only? Is that the, the site I'm thinking of? I think that they've expanded it because I was talking okay. to our producer who, who she was like, I'm using Shot Deck, thinking of you, like channeling you. <laughs> yeah. I love it so much. It's like, it's, I feel like, look, we didn't talk about lookbooks, but lookbooks are like my favorite thing to make and I think so valuable. And even in quarantine, I've been using Shot Deck to make lookbooks and just kind of find inspo. Is that your um, main source for lookbook images? I feel like it's usually where I start. And then even if they don't have every film, like seeing one film or one director or an actor, like will trigger me to think of another film that I wanted to think about. And then I can just Google image that if they don't have it, it's like mm-hmm. a helpful place to start and just like get your brain going down that rabbit hole that then leads you to, you know, other images online potentially too. I've been very big fan of that. And I, yeah. Shout it yeah. out all the time. I, I know, can't wait for started by, to use it. By Larry Schur, who shot like yeah. the Joker and a million other awesome things. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. Um, my only so complaint brilliant. is I feel like they could tag more. Like to me, the value in those databases, yeah. like woman walking away from camera, like kid playing outside. Those are kind of, especially in commercials, you know, you're kind of trying to find very specific genders, races, images, framings, lighting. And it's a yeah. it's a lot more like DP camera lens like all these things that I would never search for. Right, um, mm-hmm. true. It is sort of like the more the tags expand, that'll be helpful. But, but I feel awesome. like once you get really going down that, you're like, oh, they didn't necessarily tag it, but like it triggers my memory to be like, oh yeah, there's a shot with hands touching a brick wall, and like that's what I really need for oh, this yeah. lookbook. I love that one. Um, yeah, <laughs> a classic shot. Um, yeah, that's my that's my endorsement. My endorsement is because I, well, I guess it's just more screen time. I feel like it's been tough getting away from screens mm-hmm. during core. Um, but I have this great backyard, which has been like a total slice of paradise. And there's a really good uh, master class taught by Ron Finley, mm-hmm. who uh, is in LA about urban gardening. And so I've been, that was my first master class but i signed up with my mom and my sister and now i've got like a whole like can you know if you can see like a whole like corona garden oh, going on cool that's great <laughs> so yeah oh man the life on the commune we won't go hungry thanks to ron yeah. finley thank man, you ron I'm gonna, finley i'm gonna watch that today i i've actually been getting those ads and didn't think about it but um that sounds right up my alley it's great. They're um, also like incredibly well shot. Like the production value of Masterclass is out of control. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I gotta say, it really makes you want to watch it way more than sort of like janky like YouTube, YouTube video. videos. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'm gonna build off of that. I we did plant a garden in the back. We have some tomatoes, uh, cucumbers, strawberries, and one other thing: basil, maybe. But uh, something happened and our plants got sick and there's this app called Plantix where you can like take a picture of your plants and it <laughs> identifies what disease they have. And apparently what my cucumber plant has, there's some cucumber beetle that has like a wilt um, 
some issue that it says like you literally are supposed to pull the plant out and burn it <laughs> and it's un oh. you can't fix it like just make sure it doesn't spread to your other plants and i think it already spread to my strawberries so oh, we're man. just letting it ride but uh i thought it's kind of insane that you could just take a picture of something take a picture like, of your, your plant. plant with your phone yeah and diagnose it so thanks for talking to us guys and you guys uh i'm just gonna plug your website ani simon kennedy.com and kaylin yatsko y-a-t-s-k-o.com uh are there you have both two very awesome i am gonna guess squarespace sites um yeah but they're really good when we tell for life yeah when we tell people about like what we think makes a good website it's like your websites are like the example Ooh, i'll have to check them out um Oh, thank you. Is it, I mean, is it a panel of um, of thumbnails, well-selected thumbnails, maybe a, a well, mouse Well, they do over. look a lot like Matt and my website. Mm. Maybe more like okay, my gotcha. website than Matt's yeah. website. Look, it's easy. It's like that's the move, right? Showcase yeah. like, your good stuff. Yeah. What um, else do you need? I well, wanted something to be like totally out of the box and for me to be like, oh, man, I got to update mine. But I think we just have all kind of figured out. Yeah. It's all about need. the pictures yeah. and nothing. Yeah. Like, don't do anything else. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, enough website talk. It's been <laughs> such a treat. Uh, by the time you're listening to the short history of the long road, will be available in a drive-in near you. Is it doing VOD as well? Yeah. At the same time. So, so it'll be oh, great. in drive-in Friday. Monday is our digital premiere. Tuesday we're available on demand and online. Gotcha. So it'll be available to people by the time they're listening to this on all of the places that you normally watch movies. If you want to learn more about the show, check out the trailer, all that stuff. You can go to justshootitpod.com and follow us across all social media at justshootitpod. I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. And I'm at O. Kaplan on Instagram. And you can also email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, ideas, our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Thanks for everyone. joining us. Late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.